Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. That was box cello suite number one in G major, and that was just the prelude. Johann Sebastian Bach lives from 1685 to 1750, and he said this, music's only purpose should be for the glory of God and the recreation of the human spirit. Think about that. Bach frequently initialed his blank manuscript pages, the blank ones, before anything got put on them, with the markings JJ, which meant, help me, Jesus. You ever get to a blank page or a blank something that you work on, and you're like, oh, man, help me, Jesus. He also used to write I-N-J, in the name of Jesus. At the manuscript's end, when he was done, Bach routinely initialed the letters S-D-J, Sole Dio Gloria, which means to God alone, the glory. This is one of the greatest composers of all time. Beauty cannot be easily defined, but we know it when we see it. It stirs the soul, wakes us up, and tunes our hearts to something harmonious and pleasant about the world. I believe that's God. I believe God is waking us up to something. The last part of this pyramid, uh, before the, actually the second to last part of the pyramid, is art. Focusing on beautiful things. Beauty. So the title of this sermon is Beauty to Behold. Our God is a creating God who's all about aesthetics. Think about that. A creative God who's all about the aesthetics. One of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom is the inherent desire to create art. Now, a bird is beautiful. Ever watch, ever look at a a beautiful bird? Now, that bird was just made that way by a creating God. He didn't, get up this, he didn't get up that morning. See, I say he because in the bird kingdom, the males are the more colorful ones. He didn't get up that morning and spent two hours putting on bird makeup. He's just beautiful, but he didn't make it that way. And his, his whole world is about finding food, finding a mate, and then finding more food, and then finding a mate. This procreation cycle, it has nothing to do with aesthetic. Even though they are beautiful, they don't create beauty. That is a human thing, and I think it's due to the imprint of the image of God on humanity. We're self-aware. We are aesthetically drawn. Art is not utilitarian. Now, it can be, but it doesn't have to be, and it usually isn't. It is meant to stir us, to move us 
in our souls. Now, we don't... Have you ever seen, like, a beautiful building? What is the building for? The building is for rooms in order to do something. That's all it's for. To, to walk in a door, to go into a space in order to accomplish something or do something. You could have a flat door, you could have a flat building, you could have... Why do we decide to make buildings, buildings beautiful? Why do you care what your house looks like? Why do you plant gardens? Why do you paint with color? Why do you do these types of things? It's just a building. It's just a house. Why? Because it, it, it's something we love. It's something about us that wants to join with God in the creative process. Because of the image of God has been placed on us, we are also creators in our own right. We build, we craft, we refine, we mix, we compose, we dabble, we dance. John Mark Comer in his book Garden City makes the statement that when God uh, instructed us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, he was talking about more than just having kids and ranching and farming. He was talking about building culture taking the raw materials of this world and bedding them into beauty. And just as God shaped a step back on the seventh day and ceased from his creating to enjoy the work of his hands, so he has also commanded us to rest and enjoy, appreciate, delight in the beauty that was made in the previous six days. Your God is not a slave driver. He's not Pharaoh. He's a God who calls you to rest and enjoy and drink deeply of the beauty of our, our hands, which are just a parceling out of the beauty that God already made. The difference between humans and God is we can't make something from nothing. All we can do is craft with what God has already made, right? So today we're going to do a little bit different here. I'm almost nervous to kind of, I need to get out of the way. But everybody's all around me. How am I going to do this? Maybe the best place to stand is right here because it's, if looked at in the correct light, it would lead us, this, this concept of art and beauty and culture, lead us to God of all creation, and aesthetics, and beauty. Look at, look at this. Just take a look at this. This is Michelangelo's Pieta. I had the privilege of being able to see this up close and personal, as up close as they'll let you get. Um, but look at this sculpture. Look at the beauty that a man that God created was able to reveal out of cold, dead stone. Look at how her fingers, her thumb, pushes up against the flesh of Jesus' chest. Look how that, it's life from stone. It's, it's, it's soft. It's transparent. It's, 
Michelangelo is quoted as saying, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous materials. It's already there. The beauty is already there. God has just given me the ability to expose the beauty. Beautiful, isn't it? Thomas Cole is one of my favorite artists. And interestingly enough, Thomas Cole is a, a local to Connecticut, Massachusetts, the area, the southern New England area. He was born in 1801 and lived between 1801 and 1848. And this picture here is the Oxbow, 1836, view of Mount Holyoke, Northampton, Massachusetts, after a thunderstorm. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's one of my favorite, favorite um, artists. He also has a, a, a piece of art called The Good Shepherd. He painted this in 1848, and if you'd like to see a copy of it, I have it hanging in the boardroom right now. It's a very rough copy, but it is a copy. It's the only one I could afford. But it's beautiful. Look at the contrasts of light and dark. You could see that the shepherd is leading a single sheep as if he had to go find it, because there's sheep up on the hills, like you can see them very vaguely in the, in the, in the distance. And where's he? He's leading them to a a distant place that they don't know about. You see how low the sheep is in that video, in that, in that picture? And he keeps taking them higher and higher. Their perspective is so low, yet the shepherd knows where he's going. I just love the, the, the imagery, what we can glean from art like this. How many people have visited the Wadsworth Athenaeum? If you have not visited the Wadsworth Athenaeum, it's a gem in our own little state of Connecticut. It has one of my favorite pic- uh, paintings of all time by uh, Giovanni Panini, and it's this. Look at this. It's a painting of paintings. And he had to paint all those little paintings to look good. But it's just part of the humongous painting. That, that painting's huge, by the way, in the Athenaeum. It's huge. But he had to make all these little paintings. Sometimes I ask myself, why? Why bother? I have a feeling he would say, because I couldn't help myself. It's part of who I am. But I love that painting. It's beautiful. Now maybe you're into, like, I don't know, modern art. Looks like my, my little five-year-old daughter did it, but whatever. Sergei... Polakoff, from, early, from the early 2000, uh, 20th century, painted that. Good job, Sergei. Maybe you like that. I, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'll tell you one thing. That painting right there goes for $170,000 to $230,000, somewhere in that range. Guys, keep producing art. Because I got a couple in my office that are just about as good as that, in my estimation. <laughs> Lincoln's like, I'm going to be an artist. The problem with art, being an artist is most of them, there's a reason they call them starving artists. So maybe that's you, but aesthetics is interesting. My wife and I got a, had an opportunity to go to France a little while back, and we were able to take a picture of this. 
castle and gardens of Chateau de Valendre and the French Loire Valley. Somebody likes plants and is able to craft art out of plants. You know, some, how many people have a green thumb? You like you, green thumb? You, you, you can coax, you know, the ground to produce something? My wife has a green thumb. She's very good at it. If we had to categorize my thumb, it would probably be like dark brown or black, like death follows in its wake type of thing, you know. <laughs> because the idea of, it's not green by any chance or stretch of the imagination. I, I think it's amazing when somebody can do something with plants and actually, it's just gorgeous. But what is this? This is just the org- organizing of God's beauty in an aesthetic way. Very, very cool. I'm a, I have a, a, a thing for spiral staircases. The symmetry of it is, this was taken in, on our trip to Venice. Went to Venice, Italy a few years back. Uh, I think that's why I like traveling. Traveling is one of my wife's and my most favorite things to do together. I just, I just love to see the beauty of culture that is outside of my own context. And like old culture. I love that. A lot of our, our, our contemporary aesthetic is very, bleh. it's very like McDonald's. Do you, you think it's funny that McDonald's started to like try to make themselves look like a coffee shop? Where's the clown? Where's the red-topped roofs? What's with all this coffee shop garbage? Give me McDonald's the way I want it. In a recent podcast by Louis Giglio, he was talking about the shard in London, England, and how it's such a, a juxtaposition between the Bridge of London and this new piece of architecture. And they're both beautiful in their own right. But getting the t- city planners to allow them to build a shard was like pulling teeth. Because they're like, no, nah, it's going to take away from the aesthetic. Now everybody wants a picture in front of the shard. Because it's just become such a beautiful thing. Architecture is beauty. Now, I don't know, some of you guys in here are like, what? How girly is pastor? Honestly. But maybe this is your idea of beauty. And it is. You ever watch somebody design a new car it's done usually in clay and they scrape it away and they make a tiny little version of it and then they make a big version of it and then they make a full-size version of it and they're like scraping away with these little tools like it's a car but you can tell the difference between a good looking car and a bad looking car it's beautiful they're classic lines look at the lines on that vehicle it's beautiful Art. McCracken proposes a helpful description of beauty in this book that provides a number of potential illustrations for the reason why beauty is such a thing. It's why we can recognize beauty. He writes, one thing that most people can agree on is that a key attribute of beauty is contrast contrast. Music is beautiful if it contains both soft and loud sections. What do they call it? Forte and piano. Yeah. 
And my little pianist over here. Photography is beautiful. If there's contrast of color, light, and dark, you know the contrast. Or even, uh, I've been learning about, uh, what is that, everyone's called, planes, what is that called? Depth of field, thank you. That's why he's on staff. Depth of field, this concept of, of sharpness to like blurriness, I, I, that's how I say it. Sharpness to blurriness. I like it that way. You know. But this concept of, of different levels Films, novels, and plays are beautiful if they contain both heroes and villains. Triumph and tragedy. Have you ever enjoyed a book where nothing bad happened? No, because there are no books like that. There's got to be a conflict or there's not a book. You start out, then you go, and then by the end of the book, yeah. Unless it's tragedy, then it's, oh, you know. This is, the, this, is, this is what moves us. This is what art is. It's contrast. Art has a way of showing us and leading us to a place that otherwise is just dry and dead. Done correctly, the art forms of music and film can elicit a number of emotions. Some movies will strip away the music completely so that the audience focuses on what the director intends visually. In a similar way, God uses the beauty of creation to focus our hearts and our minds on the things he intends us to notice. Beauty and art are an amazing way for us to see what God is showing us. Do you know we're not just... Numbers, we're not zeros and ones as people. We have feeling, we have emotion. That's part of the image of God. And art and music and all these things tap into that, that um, spiritual side of the human person. God is the source and standard of beauty. Jonathan Edwards said this, All the beauty to be found throughout the whole creation is but a reflection of the diffused beams of the being who hath an infinite fullness of brightness and glory. I think that that, paradise, that that little bit of section of wording is art right there. That's a beautiful way of saying it. Let me do a little trivia for you here. The first person ever mentioned in Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody know who that is? First person in Scripture. To ever be said to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a guy by the name of Basilel. And his name means in the shadow of God. Exodus 31 says this, verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Moses, Look, I have appointed by name Basilel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom and understanding and the ability and every craft to design artistic works of gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting and to carve wood for works of every craft. The first person to be uh, talked about in the Bible as being filled with the Holy Spirit was not a preacher, was not a writer, he was an artist. 
was an artist. And all the things he created for the temple did what? They, they showed who God was on an emotional, spiritual plane outside of just do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Like This is the grandeur of God. In his book, McCracken suggests that the mystery of beauty is connected to its relationship with God. God is the creator of all that is good. So when we encounter something that is beautiful in nature or in art, we should remind ourselves of God, the creator. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Interesting, rejoice in the Lord at a worship service. <clears throat> That's not what it says. Rejoice in the Lord when you're reading your Bibles. Rejoice in the Lord when you're praying. That's not what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Everything can be spiritual. Everything is spiritual when we have the right eyes to see it. Rejoice. Let your uh, graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Ooh, Thanksgiving's coming. Turkey. Took the word right out of my mouth. With thanksgiving, present yourself up, uh, request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, listen to this. He says, finally, I'm going to close my, my message with this. He says, I'm not closing. He's closing. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there are any more excellence, moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. We should learn to set our minds on good and beautiful things. Beauty shapes our heart, orients our lives, quiets our minds, and stills our souls in a noisy and weary world. Noisy out there. I picked up the other day, I picked up this, it's like a star projector. And it has like these like nebulae you can like project on your ceiling when you use it for one of the displays over here. But I had it at the house the other day and I put it in Lincoln's room in the dark. I said, Lincoln, go in there. And he's looking, he, oh. Keeping that kid laying in his bed for any period of time without moving around is like crazy. But he sat there and lo looked at the ceiling and watched it how many, for like a half an hour. I was that right? He was like, wow, that's so cool. Because it was beautiful. It had an aesthetic to it. It, made, it calmed him. It let, him. let him just be for a little bit. So much of what our... See, we have this, this world where the problem with our modern information diet is sensory overload. Sensory overload. That's one of the reasons why God says, stop, take a Sabbath. We need to unplug. Next week we're going to talk about some good practices to unplug. We have too much we could consume. We don't know what we should consume. If you're one of those people, and I'm probably not in this room, that has Netflix, I know it's probably not you. You're too discerning for that. They have this button called, now called Choose Something For Me. 
don't push that button. The amount of content on Netflix that is watchable from a standpoint of morality is pretty small. You have to be discerning. So don't just push the button. Go ahead. We have so much content, we don't know what we should watch or consume. When we slow ourselves down to notice the beauty around us, we intentionally focus on a limited piece of reality. Slowing down to recognize beauty helps us overcome sensory overload. So much of what our overlords tell us that the world calls beautiful is actually sensual, corrupt, and depraved. We have to remember what the standard of beauty is, and it's not what they tell us it is. It's God. We need to be people who are not consumers, but connoisseurs. A consumer will allow the talking heads in media to tell you that this, you're going to get this, but in fact, you get this. We were talking about this picture before service, and Michael was saying, if you know the history of that, the, the Big Mac used to be like the two big pieces of meat on there. Now we got like little floppy nothings. I don't know how many people like Big Macs. I, I used to like Big Macs. I don't eat Big Macs anymore. Because we were told on TV, the talking heads told us it was going to be great. You're going to get this. And I got that. But consumers will take that, what we get, and go, that's what they told me I was going to get. We're not connoisseurs. We're not being discerning. We consume what is given without con contemplating what we just put into our bodies. And that could be what we put into our eyes, what we put into our ears, what we consume, right? Consumers allow the world to force feed them what they believe to be important, significant, and beautiful. A connoisseur, on the other hand, is one who experiences things ruminates on it, evaluates it, and can taste and see what is truly good. You know what the word ruminate means? Ever, ever hear that a, about a cow having multiple stomachs? It's really gross. A cow will chew its food and swallow it, and then he'll bring it back up, and he'll chew on it some more. Aren't you glad you have one stomach? <laughs> to ruminate on something is to bring it back up and to chew it again. It's, yeah, it's meditation. It's being a connoisseur. It's saying, is this good for me? Is it right? Is, it's, it's, I'm being told that this is beauty, that this is art, that this is, this is something that's good for me. Is it? How do I compare that? I need to chew on it. I need to ruminate on it. And if it doesn't hold up to God and his aesthetic, throw it away. This takes intentionality 
and time. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't just do everything that they tell you to do. Don't believe everything that they tell you to believe. Don't let them, don't let them define for you what is good, what is beautiful, what is art, what is encouraging. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to ruminate. Bring it back up. Chew on it a little bit. That by testing, by ruminating on it, you may discern what is the will of God. Is this good for me? Is, it, is this what God wants for me? What is good and acceptable and perfect? That's beauty. That's beauty. If we take Philippians 4 8 seriously and dwell on whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, and lovely, our minds will be renewed and we'll begin to see things through the lens of the Holy Spirit, and God will show what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And it will be a joy to live this life. Do you know what's supposed to be? Joy in your life? Did you know that? Christians don't joy in their life, they joy in the next life. It's not what the Bible says. We're supposed to enjoy this life. Now, there's not, I'm not saying that things won't go wrong. We live in a broken world. But even in its brokenness, it's still gorgeous. Imagine when it wasn't broken. We'll get there. But you're supposed to enjoy your life. Take the time to do it. Don't be the rat on the wheel. So the big, I usually put the big idea for the sermon at the front. The big idea for this sermon is this. Setting our minds on good and beautiful parts of God's creation helps to turn our hearts to God's design for our lives. And it's an important part of our wisdom pyramid. It's not the most important part. That's down to the bottom. That's God's word. But it is important to incorporate beauty and aesthetics and, and, and God's creation and, and art and culture into your diet at a God pace. Look in the scriptures, look in the gospels, and you'll find out that Jesus never ran. Even when his friend died, he like waited four days, like, I think we'll walk now. Jesus never ran. He was in control of it all. So at a God pace, not the rat race. We should stop and contemplate the beauty of God's creation so we can better see his plan for our lives. Close your eyes for a second. Take a deep breath. Now open your eyes. That felt good, didn't it? We should do that more often. Lord, thank you for this time we could be together. Thank you for my brothers and my sisters who are created in your image, who are partners with you in creating culture in this world that is good pleasing, perfect, and God-honoring, and God-focusing, and God-pointing. Lord, help us not to be people of this world who just consume without thinking, who get bombarded by the sensuality and the depravity of this world. Help us to be discerning and enjoy this life you've given us with our children and our families and our, our church community, to enjoy all that you have given us in this life. So Lord, I thank you for who you are and who you've always been.
And Lord, may we find joy in you as we walk this life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I encourage you to watch movies without music. It's hilarious.